Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. I just want to make this really clear, something that I, you know, yesterday everybody was celebrating that Trump lost about DACA at the Supreme Court. There were two arguments being made in front of the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. The first was a 14th Amendment equal protection argument that basically because Donald Trump was specifically going after a group that was largely Hispanic, probably 99%, but you know, largely Hispanic, that he was racially motivated. And this was a violation of the 14th Amendment passed after the Civil War that said you can't basically go after anybody because of their race. So that was one argument. The second argument was he didn't fill out the paperwork right. The stuff that he did to reverse President Obama's executive order that created the deferred arrival program, you know, the DACA program, the Dreamers program, that Trump didn't fill out the paperwork right and therefore he couldn't end the program. John Roberts, who was hailed as some sort of conquering hero yesterday, and I pointed this out, but I, I just, you know, now is the time to emphasize it. John Roberts said, we're not even going to talk about the racial aspect of this. Now, this is the same John Roberts who, in his 2013 decision, Shelby County decision, gutting the Voting Rights Act, said that there's no more racial discrimination in the United States. We've got a black president right now. Everything's fine. We don't have to keep an eye on Texas or Florida or Georgia anymore. You know, they're not going to do anything to racially discriminate. Everything's good. So he said that in the Shelby County case in 2013. And the result, of course, is that within hours of that Supreme Court decision back in 2013, you had Georgia, South Carolina, Texas, states that historically have disenfranchised largely African-Americans, but you know, also they also will go after Hispanics and Asians given the opportunity, and even women and even poor neighborhoods. Immediately, they were shutting down voting stations, throwing people off voting rolls, all this stuff that they had to pre-clear. So anyhow, John Roberts said, we're not going to talk about the racial aspect, which means that the only, only way Trump lost at the Supreme Court yesterday was that they filled out the paperwork wrong to end DACA. And as I said yesterday, don't celebrate this too soon because all Trump has to do is refile the paperwork. Well, here we go. He tweeted this morning, the Supreme Court asked us to resubmit on DACA. Nothing was lost or won. They punted much like in a football game where hopefully they would stand for our great American flag, taking a shot at Colin Kaepernick here. And of course, it was never about the flag. It was about police violence and the national anthem. Trump continues in his asinine tweet, we will be submitting enhanced papers shortly in order to properly fulfill the Supreme Court's ruling. So whether he can pull this off before you know January 20th, time will tell. I'm not holding my breath. Kino in Lakeland, Florida. Hey, Kino. How's our hey. Moose Herder Republican doing? 
Yes, thank you for your program and Free Speech TV. Tom, I hope some of the Biden campaign people listen to your program. I want to make a complaint against the Biden campaign. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to Ro Khanna, and since I don't have a computer, I can't see computer screens, Ro Khanna said, get a friend to look up on the website. I got a friend to look up, and there's no way to contact the Biden campaign other than on the computer, through, and, and I don't have an email. There was no phone number, there was no address, and even it said any letters will be sent will be uh, not opened so uh, that that's some a problem there now i tried to call my county uh, my uh, democratic county organization five times i've left messages on the voicemail that i'm a republican and, and i had a letter to the editor in my local paper the lakeland uh, florida ledger let june the 4th i had a lead letter to the editor saying announcing to the world i'm a republican going to back biden i want to get that to the biden corporation uh, people and let them know but my county democratic people don't get back with me there's no way to communicate uh, by telephone or, or or letter so uh, hopefully some people will be listening i want to do street theater for biden get out and stand on a okay Keno. here's what you do Here's what you do. Call uh, Congressman Khanna's office. Okay. Okay. And t tell him what you just told me. Tell him that you talked to him on the air, uh, that he suggested this, that you tried it, it didn't work, and you'd like them to help wire you into uh, your local Democratic Party. I'm sure that they'd be glad to make that happen. I will surely do that. Thank you, Tom. Okay. Good luck, Keno. Thanks a lot for the call. Catherine in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Hey, Catherine. Hi. I'm proposing that we engage the 25th Amendment to the Constitution because this man is clearly unfit to be president and he has a form of mental illness called sociopath. His fascist behavior certainly would qualify him. I agree with your diagnosis, Catherine. The problem with the 25th Amendment is that it has to be initiated by the vice president and it, has, and it requires a majority vote of the cabinet. And the cabinet, uh, these guys are all getting rich with Donald Trump. I mean, you know, you've got just a whole bunch of grifters. You've got Elaine Chow, who's in charge of transportation, and her family owns a, she's a multimillionaire. She's, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell's wife. Her family's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They own a shipping business, and she's shoveling money to her own company. You've got Betsy DeVos, who for years, who's a billionaire and the Amway billionaire, and for years and years and years, she's been trying to destroy public schools. She has succeeded in Michigan in privatizing half the schools in that state. And she is taking money away from public schools all over the country and giving it to for-profit and religious schools. Uh, you got Wilbur Ross, who said he was a billionaire. Forbes busted him. He's not. He's only worth about $800 million. And Forbes ran an article calling him a grifter and saying that, you know, he was involved in all these shady deals. He's our Secretary of Commerce. Uh, you've got, you know, the guy who runs the EPA as a former coal lobbyist, the guy who runs Interior as a former oil lobbyist, um, you know, uh, Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, a former defense lobbyist. Um, you know, it's it, it, uh, the cabinet is getting is getting rich or in the case of Betsy DeVos doing, you know, fulfilling their lifelong dreams and they are not going to vote Trump out. And and, right. and of course, Mike Pence, there's no way that he's going to he's going to call the cabinet together and, and propose uh, removing Donald Trump from office. So I sadly, Catherine, I, you know, I understand your your uh, concern, but sadly, that can't be you. It's not going to happen. I'm still in favor of a social pro, a social yeah. movement to propose it, even if it isn't possible to make it happen, that um, at least Trump knows that people are um, considering this or wishing for this. Well, I think we did that with the impeachment. I mean, he has been impeached. He just hasn't been removed from office. But I get your point, and I honor it, and I agree with it. Ronnie in New Berlin, Wisconsin. Hey, Ronnie, what's on your mind today? One of the phrases that I've heard a lot kind of in the last, well, at least three years is, um, but especially recently, when you say fascism arrives uh, draped in the flag and holding a Bible, I'm, I'm curious as to who said that and what, were, what was the historical background going on at the time? I believe it was Sinclair Lewis in the mid-20s or maybe early 30s in a book called It Can't Happen Here, in which Buzz Winthrop, if I'm remembering who's who, he had a character who was a newspaper editor in Vermont, and a right-wing populist was elected president on a theme of making America great again and Christianity. 
And that president then begins cracking down on newspapers after referring to them as, as the enemy of the people, um, begins shutting down newspapers. And, and Winthrop, as I recall, was the newspaper editor. He flees to Canada and basically leads the resistance against this American president. I'm not sure that that phrase comes from the book. Probably one of our listeners knows better than me, or it could be it's something you could just plug into DuckDuckGo and see. Um, I believe, though, that that's a comment that he made. But it may it may be somebody else. It might have been H.L. Mencken, you know, or one of, or somebody else from that era. But it, it was the uh, the first couple decades of the 20th century is where it, for sure is where it came from, Ronnie. That's shocking how it is so representative of today. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, it really is. It, it, it really is. And it's, it's, it's kind of grim. Mallory in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Mallory, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Um, I was just wondering if, let's say, best case scenario, Biden wins, Trump goes off and does his, his news organization or whatever. How do we communicate with the believers, the true believers who, you know, I don't even know how to talk. I have family members and I don't even know how to talk to them, how to explain facts to them. Yeah, it, it, we have a real serious problem with our media, Mallory, and slowly some of the corporate media is grudgingly being dragged into the 21st century. And, you know, frankly, excesses of the Trump administration, I think it provoked a lot of that. But there is progressive media out there that you would want to expose them to and tell them about. I mean, you know, you're listening to this show on X-Ray FM. There's free speech TV. There's uh, YouTube. There are ways to share information with people. And and educate yourself as well as you can. Well, yeah, but I also feel like they're so adverse to facts to logic and everything that it's like, is there an emotional way to, to get them to understand? Good question. And I don't have an easy answer. I, 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 I think <laughs> repeatedly pointing out that the position of the Democratic Party has been, uh, you know, since, since the New Deal, since the 1930s, the position of the Democratic Party has been the position of working people. Now, granted, in the 30s and 40s and 50s, it was largely white working people. Since the 60s, it's been all working people. But the position of the, work of the Democratic Party has been, by and large, to stand for, for working people and families. And the position of the Republican Party has been clearly since the 1920s, when the, when the last of the progressive Republicans were flushed out of the, flushed out of the system with Teddy Roosevelt and Taft, has been to be here of, by, and for the big corporations and the billionaires, the very, very rich. And to say to people, you know, provide me with an example of something that contradicts that. I've been doing this show for 16 years, Mallory, and we've been running a, a contest for a couple of years there. I ran it like, you know, real formally. We did a, made a big deal about I know. It, a show element. If, if you can name <laughs> one piece of legislation introduced since Ronald Reagan became president that was introduced by a majority of Republicans, that was passed with a majority of Republicans, that principally benefited the working class or the poor in the United States, you win an autographed copy of one of my books. And nobody, to the best of my recollection, has ever won that contest. Now, you know, you can just pick any random piece of legislation the Democrats propose, and it fits that criteria. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And, and thanks You're for all the, the work that you do. I have enjoyed that contest because I have never heard anybody contradict you. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's the question to ask your friends or your relatives who say that they're Republicans. Okay, great. What has the Republican Party done for you? Oh, well, they gave me a tax cut. Yeah, but 85% of the tax cut went for the top 1%. Give me something the Republicans have done where the majority of it, more than 51% of it even, you know, just a small majority actually went for working people or the average person or or poor people for that matter even even more importantly so mallory spot on thank you very much for the call and and good luck in uh, in waking up friends neighbors relatives co-workers i mean i i think that that's part of my job is to help you win what we used to refer to as the water cooler wars not so many water coolers anymore but you know what i'm talking about So uh, over on Democratic Underground, Matthew G. is writing, there are four kinds of Trump supporters. I think this is pretty spot on. And I'm wondering if you have any that you can add to this. 
Matthew writes that type one, there are the affluent cynics. These would be, you know, white Trump supporters. They're saying, you know, I vote my wallet. I want my tax cut. I, you know, I like the fact that the stock market and my 401k are going up. I don't care about any of that other stuff. I just look at the, at the economy and the money. Number one. Number two, you've got the white racists or the, you know, many of them don't even think of themselves as racists. In fact, they consider themselves the paragons of anti-racism because they're, they're asking questions like, why don't we have a national association for white people? An NAAWP or, well, shouldn't there be a white history month? I, you know, is a racist to love my Southern ancestry? I, these kinds of questions when you, I, I mean, it's just, you know, obviously I've had people call into this program and say these kinds of things. They belie a deeply seated, deeply rooted, uh, soft form of racism. I'm, I'm, I'm grasping for a word here. It's not unconscious racism. I think there's a certain level of consciousness to it. But, you know, these mean liberals are always calling me racist, as Matthew G. writes. So that's uh, group number two, uh, you know, the, the white identity people who want to pass. Group number three, the religious fundamentalists. Basically, if you're going to criminalize abortion so that we can keep women, you know, barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen, I'm with you. That's their shtick. The end of the world is coming, and, and uh, you guys are going to bring it about, so it's fine with me, you know, uh, blah blah me. You've got the, these religious, bizarre religious notions. And then number four, stupid people. And he's, he says, I'm not talking about people with low IQs necessarily, just, you know, poorly informed people who believe stuff that is just crazy. You know, that uh, Bill Gates invented the coronavirus and now he wants to vaccinate everybody and put microchips in us so he can track us. And Microsoft is in on it, right? I mean, that's actually a serious conspiracy theory that you will find all over the right wing sites on the Internet. So affluent cynics, number one. Number two, white identity types. Number three, religious fundamentalists. Number four, stupid people. Who would you add to Matthew G's list? I think that's pretty much it. I, you know, I, actually, I would add uh, at number five, corporate toady Republicans. This would be more the elected officials and those who support them, I suppose, who want to continue to be able to loot the American middle class and enrich the American billionaire class, and the American multinational corporate class. Lawrence in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Lawrence, what's on your mind? We need to add to that list the black Trump supporter. So of these supporters, you have people like Kanye both West, of them? Diamond. <laughs> oh, but there's another one. Her name is Candace Owens. So all together, we have three. Mm. So... The, the important thing about yeah. that is that these guys are a joke, but they are they are exhibiting a, a self-preservation ideology that started back in slavery days, when your success or your very life depended on dependent on your white overseer or your slave master. So any real success that you had was sanctioned by that slave master or after slavery, we had Jim Crow. After Jim Crow, we had uh, discrimination in housing and education and everywhere else. Any success that a black person has was sanctioned by a white person. So therefore, if you can't became too successful you would be your city would be burned down like they did in Tulsa or you would be denied ownership or something like Jay-Z was denied ownership of the football team so they're confusing Kanye West who's another subcategory actually but Diamond and Silk and Candace on they are confusing their real real success with that sanction by the white man yeah, no, it really is. It's, it's hypocrisy writ large. You're absolutely right. Gary in Detroit. Hey, Gary, what's up? I just sure. wanted to know what exactly is Antifa? Is it actually an actual thing? Is there a leadership structure? I mean, what is that? Antifa is a contraction for two words, anti-fascist. 
and the anti-fascist movement has emerged in the last few years. Um, some anti-fascists started referring to themselves as Antifa. I would say the first anti-fascist movement, the, the first really serious anti-fascist movement in the United States was the mobilization of our army after we were bombed at Pearl Harbor and, and, and fighting a world war against fascists in Germany and fascists in Japan and fascists in Italy and Spain as well. And, and we won that war. Now we've got a new generation of fascists coming up. They call themselves the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, and all these other things, and Republicans for, to a large extent. And the anti-fascist movement is saying no to fascism. It, it, to say that Antifa is a them is like saying conservative is a them or liberal is a them. You know, there's no, uh, you can't address a letter Antifa, Washington, D.C., and it's not going to go anywhere. Just like if you addressed the letter conservatives, Washington, D.C., it wouldn't go anywhere. So, makes sense, Gary? Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah, you're welcome. Good to hear from you. Hector in Chicago. Hey, Hector, what's up? Where's the petition to oust the government? Uh, uh, it's called I'm, an election. If that's what no, you're talking I mean, about. If you want to well, 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 change the leadership, you do that in November. Time, uh, we, we, we're equal in power to the government, aren't we? Well, one uh, no. and one does equal two, doesn't it? I mean, the uh, Constitution doesn't say that. We have we the people uh, we the people equal in power to the government. No, what the Constitution? We the people give certain powers to the government. We restrain certain powers from the government, and and we oh elect i mean right, well, well, this is well, not well, a pure democracy this the, is a exactly. representative democracy we elect people to represent us not to rule over us but to represent well, us i don't think didn't anymore. get that memo but there's so a what? call out for the people to oust the government and uh no i don't know of any call like that hector well, i you know the call that i'm hearing is to oust particular politicians. Well, you know, you could argue that Trump is trying to deconstruct the administrative state. He's trying to take apart America. He's taking apart the institutions, the federal institutions. Right. But there was no mandate for that, uh, unless you count, you know, the billionaires who helped put Trump in office or foreign governments that don't like our form of government that helped put Trump in office. Ramon in San Francisco. Hey, Ramon, what's on your mind today? Tom, you're smart. I love you. Yeah. Listen, I was reading the New York Times on the weekend on Saturday and talked about this general, Mark Milley. And mm. this guy is a good hope for us. He, this morning, he apologized for being in the picture show with Trump. Yeah, yes, Episcopal which Church. is a big deal. It is indeed, because in that way, we know that we're not alone. I thought that this country was heading for dictatorship, like in my country, El Salvador, when I was there a long time ago. But now I realize that there are good, good people still in America, that we believe in the system. We haven't destroyed it yet. And the best hope is November. We all have to go yeah. there. And this guy is going to be walked out like John Biden, I mean, uh, Biden said this morning, he's going to be walked out of the White House with scores. Our security, and this has to be yeah, let's, let's We don't so, have Ramon. to go to the road bad. I mean, to the bad road. This is the right way we're going, and I'm very happy that uh, this general took that stand. I mean, it's amazing. I love it. Okay, that's all. Are, are there any, Ramon? Did you say you're from El Salvador originally? Yes, I am. Are, are there any lessons? We just have a minute until we're going to hit a break, Ramon. But do you, are there any lessons from what your country went through for all the rest of us, yes, things to look yes. out for? Because when the military goes blind following a leader like Trump, all you have to do is repression. There is no work. And they cheat in the elections. All you have to do is a super revolution. And we don't want to walk that way. We don't have to. Right. We still have to save this country. We're on time. Don't let it go off our hands. So this you see Mark Milley plan. and uh, Mark Esper, the, the, you know, these uh, General Milley and, Gen and General Esper, or uh, uh, Defense yes. Secretary Esper, by pushing back against Trump as preventing tyranny here in the United States. That's a good thing. Yes. I just hope that they don't yes. resign and Trump doesn't replace them with toadies, you know, like no, he did there are many people and, behind them who justice. believe what they're saying. Yeah, there are many people Let's in the army so. right now that they believe in us. Believe me, we will believe in democracy. Let's hope so. Thank you. Okay, Ramon, thank you very much. 
you know, I see what he did to the Justice Department. I see what he did with the State Department by putting by putting another authoritarian in there. You know, Mike Pompeo, who was an old toady of the Koch brothers. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ella Jones was just elected the first black mayor of Ferguson, Missouri. Some good stuff. Good stuff. Oh, this is funny. Hunter is writing over Daily Coast. Donald Trump claimed he didn't live in Florida on his own voter registration form. <laughs> he writes, what a dumbass. The Washington Post is now reporting that Trump originally tried to register to vote in Florida using, wait for it, an out-of-state address. He claimed his legal address was 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, if that's your legal address, that's where you have to vote. Right? Oh, man. It just, it just gets weirder and weirder. Patrick in Long Island, New York. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, you know, I'm reminded of the saying that goes somewhat of if you live long enough, you'll see history repeat itself. And I heard yeah. you, yeah, I heard you discussing uh, briefly a couple of days ago about uh, uh, Trump emulating Nixon and using Nixon's uh, playbook, you know. And also to uh, uh, tag onto that, you're watching the old shows and being nostalgic for, you know, a much more civilized uh, nation. And, uh, you know, of all the people I emulate, uh, Trump chooses uh, Nixon. And this is like uh, a flashback of the 60s for me, you know, when you had cities on mm -hmm. fire. Yeah, you had cities on fire. And there's a sad common theme is that I recall when Nixon got the hard hats to beat up the hippies, because Nixon didn't care for the hippies at all. Uh, but the same thing is still happening to the blacks. 
to the to the African American, to the uh, uh, people who are perceived to be someone ruining this country, and they have been for the last two hundred forty years. Uh, when is this ever going to change? When is this, you know, not going to be uh, a common theme that uh, one group of individuals is the whippy boy? Pardon the pun for uh, you know uh, white people, quite frankly, who are behind their gated uh, uh, their gated communities and uh, you know not coming out of the shadows. It's just it's it's if you want to be nostalgic to have the worst part of the '60s come back. Uh, only thing I could say that was good uh, was I recall the photographic image of uh, I guess a college age girl putting a flower in a national guardman national guardsman uh, in his rifle in the end of the barrel yeah, of his rifle. I remember that. Yeah. But you know I was talking to somebody just earlier today who was about in their mid thirties, and I said to him, "We got through it then, you know, with the burning and the protests, and it used to be you go to a protest." to be the date, you know, it was, where's the protest going to be today? Uh, you know, and that we will get through it, and it may be ugly, but to hang in there, do your best, and stay spiritual and stay strong. You know, we did end the war, but we didn't end racial discrimination in this country, and we didn't end police killings of African Americans, and we didn't end, uh, you know, police brutality more generally, and all those things. We've got, we've got a big lift, Patrick, and we've got to do it. We've got to do it. And police reforms, among other reforms across our culture, have to come out of what's going on right now. Rose in Chicago. Hey, Rose, what's on your mind today? Do you think that Trump's solid voting block of farmers will stick with them during and even after this pandemic like they did back even when many of them were facing bankruptcy and even losing their farms during his stupid trade wars. I mean, it was unbelievable back then. Many of them that were interviewed said they would vote for him again when they were losing their farms. Do you think they'll stick with them right. this time? Probably, Rose. Uh, the, the factor, the variable that's always missing from these equations when they're discussed in the media is the the power of Fox News and right-wing hate radio, the ability to, to basically create a cult around grievance, um, you know, grievance about uh, black people. You know, Trump is refusing to, to, uh, to, to hang Obama's new picture in the White House. I mean, he, it may go up on the wall someplace, but traditionally there's a ceremony where they do it. He's refusing to do that, our first black president. It's just like, this, this uh, largely racialized grievance that they sell on right-wing hate radio and on Fox News is powerful, powerful Fox stuff. News? Sure, go for it. Just because um, I don't have cable or satellite TV. I know it's hard to believe. Never, so I've never really seen Fox News. I guess I'm one of the lucky ones, mm -hmm. maybe. So I wanted to ask you yeah. maybe about that. Do the Trump followers that watch only that, do they not even hear yes. stories or see any of the images of the ventilators or the refrigerated trucks? use his temporary morgues or do they see it and just blow them off as fake i mean i don't like i said i've never seen it so was it just political pundits all day or is there any quote it's a little bit of it? both rose it's a little bit of both it's mostly you know those kinds of stories are mostly completely missing over on fox and on right-wing hate radio and when they are uh shared they're shared as the exceptions to the rule or as examples of, oh, it's just black people dying. And by the way, it, they, black people are dying disproportionately. Uh, or it's just old people who are dying. And again, they are dying disproportionately. And so, wow. you know, their spin on all this is you don't have to worry about this if you're white or if you're under 60. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But one of the things that's interesting about that is that Trump's support among people over 60 right now is collapsing. And I think it's collapsing largely because that is the message that they're trying to push out there. Rose, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. It's nice to hear from you. Rich in Cedro, Woolley, Washington. Hey, Rich, what's on your mind today? I would call Republicanism, Reaganism, but especially now Trumpism, the politics of projection. Take, for yeah. example, uh, Pelosi asked for X million dollars to help out these the states. And the Republicans say, oh, you're just going to give that to all your rich friends. Well, that's right. what they would do, you know. Yep. Um, the other question, actually, it was a question for Pocan earlier today, but uh, 
Is there a way that the House or the Congress can change the definition of small business from not based on number of employees, but more on, say, gross income or even payroll? Well, Congress can do anything they want, you know, in, in, in making these definitions. I'm with you, though. I, you know, I remember uh, Louise and I back in the 80s were, or in the 90s, uh, we owned a travel or an ad agency, excuse me, an advertising agency in Atlanta. We owned a travel agency before we sold that. And then we started an ad agency. And the ad agency had, I think, probably 13, 14 employees, something like that. We were, we were uh, you know, a small business. We were uh, large for small ad agencies. Most are two and three person mm-hmm. shops, the small ones. And so we were doing pretty good, good sized business. But I wanted to expand the company. I wanted to buy some equipment, actually. I wanted to buy some typesetting equipment that cost about 100 grand. And so I went to my bank and I said, can I get a small business loan? And he says, no, you're too small. (laughs) To be a small business, to be defined as a small business under the SBA, you have to have, and I forget what the criteria was, but I think it was something like 50 employees or something like that. You know, our company was just too small. And we, you know, we had a, we had a gross income that was, you know, uh, well over a million dollars a year, but it wasn't enough. So, you know, small businesses really are the heart and soul of this country, at least traditionally have been. And that's why I wrote this book on monopolies, which is coming out in a month and a half, The Hidden History of Monopoly, Who Stole the American Dream or How Big Business, you know, Destroyed the American Dream. It's an issue that we need to be addressing. And I, and I agree with you that, you know, redefining small businesses would be a good start. Karen in Abiquilu, New Mexico. I'm, I, I'm sure I'm angling. Thank you. Okay, Abiquiu, what's up? I have a question about the Insurrection Act and Posse Comitatus. Uh, Trump did okay. threaten the use of the Insurrection Act, and I wondered if you would speak briefly to, uh, the, to compare and contrast the Insurrection Act with Posse Comitatus. Sure. Uh, Posse Comitatus specifically says that the military may not turn their guns on American people. I'm pretty right. sure it was passed in the 1870s after the Civil War, basically to say, you know, never again will we have the army uh, pointing guns at people. On the other hand, back in 1807, um, after there was some, some uh, uprising back uh, around that time, I forget which one it was, the Insurrection Act was passed, and that actually empowers governors to request of the federal government the assistance of the military to put down an insurrection within their state. This was happening during the Jefferson administration as the southern states were starting to break away from the idea of, of uh, ending slavery in 1808, and uh, which is what was written into the Constitution. It didn't actually say it would end slavery, it would just end the importation of enslaved persons. But at the time of the writing of the Constitution in 1787, there was a widespread belief that within a couple of generations, slavery would fade out, would die out. And so there was concern that you would see some insurrections around this issue, particularly coming out of the South. In 1807, they passed the Insurrection Act. My understanding of the Insurrection Act is, and I'm not an authority on it, is that it requires a governor to request the, the military presence. Whether Trump can invoke it all by himself without a governor you know, participating, he might be able to do that in the District of Columbia, which has no governor, but I don't think he can do that anywhere else. And frankly, I don't think he needs to invoke that act to militarize the District of Columbia because you know, it's a federal district. He has ultimate authority over that. Did I answer your question? I think you did. Thank you so very much. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you very much for the call. Deborah in Columbia, Tennessee. Hey, Deborah, what's up? You were speaking to someone uh, earlier about the judges, and once mm-hmm. they're in, they're in for good. I uh, heard something a while back about the possibility of uh, legislation being passed where these judges, maybe they wouldn't hold the seat that they were brought into, that even the Supreme Court, they might be able to take these lifelong judges and move them to places that they don't have quite the same power. And I was just curious if you had heard or knew anything about this. 
With regard to the Supreme Court, that is uh, not only possible, it's in the Constitution. It's Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution, which gives Congress the power to regulate the Supreme Court. And in fact, Congress regulates the entire federal court system. And Elizabeth Warren has proposed term limiting Supreme Court justices. And because Article 3 provides for a lifetime appointment of federal judges, you couldn't basically fire a uh, federal judge or retire them. But what you could do is you could move a Supreme Court justice down to an appeals court or a district court level. But that's the bottom, you know, the bottom of the federal judge ring. The problem with doing that sort of thing, uh, to the best of my knowledge, Deborah, is it's a question that I've never specifically researched, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. The problem with trying to do that with the judges that Mitch McConnell is putting in is that the vast majority of them are going in as as these judges at the bottom rung. So there's no place lower to demote them to. And because the, the Constitution gives them a lifetime appointment, uh, to the best of my knowledge, the only thing that you could do is uh, impeach them. And you'd have to do that one by one individually. And you'd have to go through the process of articles of impeachment coming out of the House of Representatives, going to the Senate, and the judges being impeached. And that's only happened, I think, three times in the history of the United States. So it's pretty unlikely. Uh, we're screwed. But, yeah, I think so. For for another generation or two, this this is, uh, you know, this is McConnell and and uh, the uh, you know, uh, the Koch brothers and their and their billionaire buddies who funded the uh, Federalist Society. This is their their uh, you know sweet goodbye kiss uh, to America right. as uh, we prepare to vote the Republicans out of office. Yep, Deborah, thank you for the call, Marty in Evergreen Park, Illinois. Hey, Marty, what's on your mind? I was thinking since we're amassing a group of labor workers, right, to go and do the census, right, you know, to mm-hmm. go to the different houses and tally the census. I was thinking we can train those folks as well to maybe conduct COVID testing or coronavirus testing since they're going to be like going door to door to door and stuff. And I thought it'd be a good use of our labor force, you know, to get to the mm-hmm. testing numbers that we need to get to. It's an interesting idea. I've heard people suggest that uh, postal workers could do the same thing because they go door to door. The problem is that testing somebody for coronavirus is a medical procedure. When you stick that swab up somebody's nose, uh, you know, about half the time they will sneeze fairly violently. And if they have the coronavirus, they will blow it all over you. And so you really want medical professionals or people who have been trained, at least in that very narrow piece of medicine, um, to be doing that. And also, the census workers, and I haven't heard any updates on what's going on with the census in quite a while. I don't know if the census workers are out there or not. I think it's been suspended, but I could be wrong. Not the entire census, but I mean, you know, for a couple of months. Louise and I got ours in the mail, and we just filled it out and mailed it back. But I think that they're really, really busy, as are postal workers. I think it's going to take a completely separate agency or group of people. And also, I think it would be very difficult to federalize that. I think it, it, you know, it, it has to be done by the states. I suppose it's conceivable it could be federalized. I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to look into the legality of that. But you know, keep thinking, Marty. There's, there's some, you know, a lot of great, great ideas here. Lori in Cashiers, North Carolina. Hey, Lori, what's on your mind today? Earlier, you asked the question, why is Trump doing all this? And I think I know the answer. Every rich person's house and yacht that I have ever been on has had this little embroidered pillow that says, the man who dies with the most wins. Lori, I suspect that there's probably some deep truth in what you're saying. Uh, I, I think that, you know, he who dies with the most, uh, the most toys wins uh, is the one I've seen most frequently. I've seen it as a bumper sticker. And, and you know, it's kind of classic libertarian ideology, but uh, uh, point well taken. Lori, thank you for the call. Kathy in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air. Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. I'm a longtime labor journalist, and I'm getting very nervous about a trend going on in media to report all these horror stories about what people are going through working in dangerous situations, and yet they don't talk about a law that's been on the books since basically 1970 with the establishment of the Occupational Safety and Health Act, a subsequent regulation, all of which was affirmed by the Supreme Court in 1980. And the law basically is that workers have a right to refuse dangerous job assignments. Furthermore, they have a right to collect unemployment. Now, of course, there's certain standards that they have to meet. You can't say, who I'm afraid, pay me. It doesn't work that way. But providing that 
certain things are followed, they have this right, and nobody is telling them that. There was a really disturbing New York Times uh, post over the weekend about workers being fired for saying, wait a minute, I, I can't come back to work. You know, they've been laid off because of COVID. I can't come back to work. Their job place is unsafe. The employers are firing them. Uh, states, inclusion with Trump's Labor Department, which is pushing out information to them, is cutting them off for unemployment. So they're putting people in a box of having to choose between going back to a dangerous job or staying home and starving. And uh, I've written information about this. I actually got in touch with the New York Times reporter. I gave him information about stuff I've written. I really encouraged him to get on that and talk about people's rights. And luckily, I'm proud to say, uh, he says uh, he was looking for an idea to follow up, and supposedly he's going to do it. So I just hope more information about that gets pushed out, and I can send you links to more information for your website. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Damon in Las Vegas. Hey, Damon, what's on your mind today? Yeah, uh, Tom, I wanted to thank you for bringing up the uh, deplorable, disgraceful situation with this uh, Republican clown, Thomas Modley. The only reason this guy is uh, acting secretary of the Navy is he's an investment banker who gave a lot of money to Trump's uh, presidential campaign. This guy and the president that put him in there could not carry the piss bucket of Commander, Captain and Commander Brett Crozier. There's a much bigger thing going on here than just this disgraceful situation where Bodley flies 8,000 miles. And by the way, if anybody with the Democratic administration had done this, the Republicans like Rand Paul would be screaming about the cost. But he goes 8,000 miles not only to trash Crozier, but to trash the men and women that serve on the aircraft carrier who cheered Crozier when he walked off the carrier after he had been fired. But as I said, this goes much further. Mm -hmm. And I'd just like to read really quickly two-sentence paragraph from the New York Times. Like much of the Trump administration, what began as a seemingly straightforward challenge, the arrival of coronavirus on board a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, has now engulfed the military, leading to far-reaching questions of undue command influence and the demoralization of young men and women who promise to protect the country. At its heart, this crisis aboard the Theodore Roosevelt has become a window into what matters and what does not in an administration where remaining on the right side of a mercurial, I would say back crap, crazy, mercurial president is valued above all else. If this guy gets reelected, you're going to see a situation where all of the people in the military are going to be required to sign a loyalty oath to the dear leader. This is endangering our national security. This is big stuff. Yeah, I'm, I, I completely agree with you, Russ. And Donald Trump doesn't care about the military, except that the extent that he can use them as props for his reelection. Really, he doesn't care about anything or anyone except himself and his own political future. Bob in Naples, Florida. Hey, Bob, what's up? History is not going to be kind to Trump and his administration, but they're shameless. They really don't care as long as they're in power. That's all that matters to them. When CBS asked a question to William Barr, the reporter asked him, is this going to be kind, meaning to him or his administration? And Bill Barr's response was, history will remember us as the winners. That's all that matters to them, as the winners. Right. And then he kind of laughed. I mean, Well, and Trump was once asked something like that, Bob, and he said, I'll be dead. I don't care. Or words. Yeah, exactly. They're shameless in their goals. They don't care, like... They cheat, they lie, I mean, whatever it takes. I mean, they even, they, they, they're willing to throw their, even their friends, and if they don't agree with them under the bus, they don't care. All they care is, is money, power, and that's all that matters. Just like when the, in, we study history, like Harding, Kutlitz, Herbert Hoover, Hitler, Franco, and Mussolini, they were in power because they cheated, and that's all they care. They, they have to kill that. So be it, and, and that's their weapon of the choice. That's all that matters. Yeah, I'm Being not sure that, that Hoover was in power because he cheated, but 
But, you know, I get your point, and that's absolutely what they're doing. And that's well, why Trump is screaming about Michigan sending out uh, applications for absentee ballots, because he knows that if the majority of people vote, he's going to lose. And the bet that he's making right now is that in November, Republicans will be brave and fearless and they'll go to the polling places and Democrats are still going to be worried about getting COVID-19, particularly those people over 60 who are concerned about Medicare and Social Security. And they're not going to go out and vote. And so he's therefore going to win because he's got a bunch of you know younger white yahoos who are going to vote, go, go and vote for him. So we'll see. We'll see, Bob. But I think you're right. I think you know your assessment that uh, history is not going to be kind to them. Spot on. Dave in Manhattan, New York. Hey, Dave, what's up? You've spoken many times about how cynical Republicans are in that they don't necessarily believe, you know, what they uh, uh, project, you know, on uh, online or on TV. Sure. Um, and, you know, they are opportunists, and this is about being prominent, making money, et cetera. But I always wonder, behind the scenes, what are they saying? I mean, if I were a, you know, a fly on the wall or a fellow traveler and I said, oh, God, can you believe, you know, what we're getting away with? Can you believe people are, are still believing all the nonsense we speak? You know, would you know what would you know would they say that? I mean, are they, you know, do they say, "Gee, I, I thought Trump was going to be bad, but I didn't think he was going to be this bad." Yeah, and, and or are they just? I can't believe they're as self-deluded and or as crazy as uh, they might be, and that this is just, you know, it's just opportunism. I, you know, David Stockman uh, talked about that. He wrote a book, uh, basically apologizing for the time that he was Reagan's budget director. That's right. And yeah, and he, and he made the point, I mean, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush knew that Reaganomics was BS. During the primary, he called it out. He said it was voodoo economics. He suggested, these weren't his exact words, but the implication or the import of them was that Ronald Reagan wanted to take America back to the Roaring Twenties, you know, the, the policies of Harding and Coolidge and Hoover, and those policies ended in disaster. Yes, they made rich people very, you know, fabulously rich. That's why it was called the Roaring Twenties. And they wiped out a lot of working class people. Wages, working class wages actually declined in the 1920s while rich people got richer, which is exactly what's happened since 1981. And, and so Stockman called that out and said, yeah, these guys know what's real and they're BSing you on behalf of their donors. It's all about power yeah. and money. And I, yeah, I, I would think bet that that's still the case. Yeah, and I think that's that's worse. I mean, you know, you can you can only yeah. blame somebody so much for genuinely believing something, no matter how nutty it is. But when they 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 know it's not true and they pretend it is, I mean, that's just uh, that's just so destructive and 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 objectionable. It's, yeah. it's yeah, no, it really is. It's it's hypocrisy writ large, Dave. You're absolutely right, Doug in Manistique, Michigan. Hey, Doug, what's on your mind today? Isn't this a slow motion coup? I think it is what's going on here with Trump. Yeah. Yeah, and, I think uh, it is. And the big question yeah. is going to be, you know, now that Mark Esper is backing away, I mean, you know, in order for a coup to be successful, you have to have the military. And now that you've got several well-respected military people speaking out, you know, the, 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 the most obvious being our former secretary of defense. But now you've even got our current secretary of defense saying, hey, wait a minute. I have a little bit of hope, but I'm frankly very, very concerned about this. Me too. You know, we can't let them keep getting away with this stuff and i think yeah. there should be consequences you know yeah. Yeah. trials I, I, or I whatever, whatever it takes you know it appears that the consequence that we're going to have doug is going to be on november 3rd when it's time to flush the uh, you know uh, that word that starts with t dave in federal way washington hey dave what's up you know we're under occupation and that pretty much hit the nail on the head but i just wanted to add that i have been feeling this way since, um, you know, I was with David Petraeus in Iraq. Uh, now, this was some years ago, okay, but my whole attitude changed when he said we are now crossing the Rubicon. Now, we can, you know, debate what General Petraeus actually meant, but crossing the Rubicon in ancient Roman history was to prevent their military from co-opting, you know, their legislative um, experience, okay, from co-opting the Republic, because... This sort of thing happens. I mean, there's, there's no way to stop it, you see. You can legislate from gunpoint. You can legislate from sword point from back in the days of Rome. And I just wanted to add, as far as outside sources manipulating us, of course they are. Of course they are. Look, 
when the CIA embarked on a plan to help former Russian satellite countries convert their alphabet to a Romanized alphabet off of the Cyrillic, kind of started engaging in a culture war against Russia. All right. And Russia is it's fighting back. And look, I heard it the other day and I, you know, and obviously you're a very smart guy, but, it, but actually I, I fell for it before you, you got a guest on that said that um, evangelicals, you know, they, they, they validate their support for Trump by Isaiah 45. Okay. Now I, I didn't even catch it right at first and I should have because I'm an atheist. I was like, okay, Isaiah 45, Trump is number 45. Or, um, they were talking about Cyrus. Cyrus was, uh, uh, was a goyim. He was not Hebrew, okay? But he was anointed as a Messiah, okay? But look, the most simple thing is Cyrus... Um, Actually, uh, he was not anointed as a Messiah. Cyrus, Cyrus merely protected the Jews while they were in exile. But he was no, he did more than protect them. But anyhow, back to you. He, you know, well, he freed the okay. slaves. He freed the Hebrew slaves, according to this, this tradition, okay? okay. That, that's, the most, that's the simplest mm-hmm. question, right? Now, you know, being manipulated has nothing to do with intelligence level. Even Albert Einstein can be manipulated, okay? What I'm saying is, if you ever find yourself going, thinking, like having a little internal dialogue, why did I not go to the simplest question first? Why did I not bring that up? You might want to start, um, you know, uh, trying to get ahead of that. All right. And I've heard several callers. Like there was a caller you had. She was talking about we need to examine our own humanity first. I think that's what, you know, subconsciously she's trying to do. She's trying to get ahead of the manipulation. And this is these. This goes to another category of Trump voter. They're all over the world. Dave, what's your bottom line here? I'm, you know, we're going to hit a the break in line, about a minute. What's, yeah, what yeah, yeah. The bottom say? line is. The bottom line is war, the way we're using it, is just another tool for control and the, the way to get rid of democracy. It's, I mean, I don't care what your personal feelings on, on it are. Oh, it has been but since right Vietnam. Yes, but, but you know, we, all right, like, for instance, in, in Antarctica, China's building up right now in violation of the Antarctica Treaty. I love the environment. You love the environment, Tom. We cannot support Trump if he decides to use that as a predicate to war with China. We cannot trust Trump's motivations. Trump has, he is being enabled as a dictatorial figure in America, all right? And we, all he really wants is power. He doesn't want power over China. He doesn't want to kick China out of Antarctica, okay? He doesn't care about the environment. What he cares about is extending his authority, all right, and, 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 and destroying the, the, you know, the, the foundations of the Constitution. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be, you know, dramatic, but that's what he's doing. I mean, if you care about the foundations of the Constitution. I agree. This is a scared little man who believes he can only be safe, and the problem is that there are many other scared little men in America who believes that he can only be safe if he has absolute control over everything and everybody. And that is the, you know, typically uh, authoritarian followers are scared who want somebody to promise them safety and leadership. are also scared people believe that they can only feel safe when they control everything, when they've got everything locked down and they use violence to do that. And we've seen that over and over in history, going all the way back to the Greek and Roman republics. Well, when you talk about your walks along the river there in Oregon, it's very touching. It's very moving to me, okay? And believe me, I might be compelled to support Donald Trump in a confrontation with China over what they're doing in Antarctica. All I'm saying is we must seriously, at this point, we must question that. If we do not, we are going to forfeit our republic. Also. I want to get your take on Trump's commencement speech to West Point. They had the military panel on afterwards, okay? But they didn't talk about something I think me and you both agree on. All right, Trump reaffirmed and reiterated his Trump doctrine, okay, if you were listening closely, which is the United States Defense Forces, he uses them in an aggressive, retaliatory, unilateral, and disproportionate way. All right. And this has been I've seen that a lot of Trump followers, you know, are using his name, Paul Whelan, perhaps, you know, who has just been sentenced to 16 years in prison in Russia for spying. There's no indication he was on the payroll of the United States government, but he dropped Trump's name. Okay, and so did Hmm. Jordan Goudreau down in Venezuela. But anyways, I couldn't help but think 
of, and you know, I'm not trying to draw any comparisons to Nazi Germany, but I was thinking of a General Friedrich Paulus. He was promoted by Hitler to a field marshal of the Eastern armies, okay? And remember, his forces got encircled by the Russians in Stalingrad, and Paulus was not allowed to retreat, nor was he allowed to break through and get resupplied, okay? And this was all Hitler's mandate. I mean, Hitler was you know, ordering him to stand his ground, for lack of a better word. Paulus surrendered. And all Hitler could do is lament that no German um, uh, field marshal had ever been taken alive. They even said those orders promoting Paulus to field marshal were a suicide order by Hitler. Okay? And I got to think about this cult of toxic masculinity that I see Trump and Trump followers, they uh, exude, they exhibit this. And I'm wondering if you have a take on, does it affect their decision-making and how dangerous it could ultimately be given the economic catastrophe that the world is facing? Yeah. I don't have an easy answer for you, Dave. I do know that as people become economically insecure, they express their insecurity in ways like toxic masculinity, you know, trying to assert control and dominance over their immediate environment because they feel like they've completely lost control of the larger environment, like their workplace or their job or their fate or their future or their income or anything. But that's a much larger topic for another time. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, let your friends know where they can find good progressive media. Tell them about our program and others. Share the word, huh? Tag your it. And be good to yourself and the people around you. Now is a really important time. Have a little compassion. You've been listening and a lot of to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.